This episode of Super Pulp Science has been brought to you by writingtherongway.com. Go write the wrong way. Attention, citizens. It's time for Super Pulp Science. This is Super Pulp Science, where we talk about how genre gets made. I'm here with my co-host, Justin Curry. Hi. He's alive today after five days at a uh, Make It show. And we have a special guest today, uh, Dr. Jonathan Ball, who is going to talk to us about all all things literary practical the doctor of philosophy i should uh, we should clarify. add that if my colon <laughs> explodes here you cannot help me yeah right okay <laughs> so um jonathan is a filmmaker and a writer and he is specifically in the t- crosshairs of our podcast today because i want to ask him about academia oh please don't ask me about academia right? i want to ask you about <laughs> academia we get yeah. a lot of I'm, questions at really? uh in our well, we're out and about in the world, either at shows or at book events. People always come up with their young, uh, the young person in their life and say, how did you get started? I'd like them to get started. Where did you go to school? What did you take at school? And I don't have good answers for that because most of my art practice is self-taught. And Justin uh, is, well, usually tells them that he was a graphic designer am, and then left all that behind. I'm a big champion of that graphic design program. The uh, the the leg up it's given me in the illustration world is... is is huge right but people don't look for that as an illustration leg up so no, it's hard to really. point it but, but artists that have so terrible that typography would... is like it it hurts it, it hurts, hurts my soul but parents want to believe in school sure jonathan professor well should they believe in school i, I would say yes <laughs> the thing with apprehension school is, on his face the thing with school is it's, it's not a that direct straight shot to a job anymore like even if you're taking a job like uh like healthcare now of course is crumbling in this province right um and that used to be a very stable career uh you know it used to be they weren't firing nurses by the hundreds right you know great west life i i know my my financial advisor kind of is connected to great west life and like he was telling like they fired hundreds of people there like these are very stable professions traditionally and now they're no longer stable. Like there's so nothing that's stable anymore. What's so stable, what ironically, is you guys, is yeah. owning your own business, like being entrepreneurs. Uh, that's the sort of thing you don't need to go to school for. But of course, it helps to have you. Help. You've you've go, you've learned business, right? Yeah. You know, yeah. I bet you that has helped you more than an art program that you've taken. Uh, ostensibly, I think so. Yeah, I took. Uh, I mean, you went to uh, Red River here to do the graphic design program, and I did a entrepreneurship program at Red River in my misspent youth. And I find myself looking back at that often when I'm thinking about what to do next for the book projects. Yeah, like I got three degrees, right? So I I, I did uh, all the way through the PhD. And if you look on paper, like what did my degrees get me? It doesn't really amount to much. Like the jobs that I've gotten, like teaching, for example, I yeah. would have gotten, or I could have gotten those jobs on the basis of my publishing background. Right. And the publishing I've done uh, is not necessarily a product of going to these schools. Right. But uh, the thing that was really useful for me and the thing I was very aware of when I was doing school, and I think this is the approach you have to take if you're interested in the arts, is whatever you're doing, um, whether you're going to school or not going to school, you have to have this clear idea of like where you want to be with it. 
and how you're going to get to that point. And, you can, and if you're going to go to school, th and school can be very useful if it's part of a plan or in the context of the thing you want to do. It's not the thing that will make or break whether you can do it. It's just a way you can kind of enable yourself. So for example, when I was in school, like at a certain point when I'm doing my PhD, I'm getting paid because I, I'm like on scholarships now. I've got uh, all these awards and grants coming in. I got a grant from uh, SHRC, this you know, Social Sciences and Humanities Research Council, to write my PhD thesis, which was a novel, um, which I've now got another grant from the Canada Council to rewrite. That's the next project I'm doing is rewriting this novel. This novel I've not yet finished and hasn't got a publisher. I made over $100,000 writing that novel, which is way more than I'll make publishing that novel, I'll point out. Yeah, um, by and, a large and, degree, I'm sure. And it's, yeah. it's by a large degree, and, and it's because of... Um, how I basically used the system of school to like become like I, I kind of engineered things in school so that eventually I transitioned from paying for school to like school is paying me to be doing my own things and I'm getting credit for writing my like projects and books and things. I'm so getting money, let me ask you a I'm question. I use things. I use the analogy when I'm talking to students who ask me about you know how do I get the most out of school I say well if Bend it you're, to your will. Yeah, but if you're going to sit down with your friends and play a board game, and one of you has read all the rules, and the rest yeah. of you are just sort of following along, you can pretty much be sure who has the advantage, right? The person who yeah. read all the rules. So what I'm hearing from you is you looked Have at the to. game, you read all the rules, and then you played by the same rules as everyone. You just no. knew them better. You, you, you don't play by those rules. <laughs> what you do is you figure out where are the... Where is the opportunity within these rules? So, like wh the thing that I let me tell you a little short story from when I was doing the PhD program. So I went to the University of Calgary to do the PhD program. It was the only university in English Canada that allows a creative PhD option. So that's why I went to that specific university. Uh, in addition to like, so that allowed funding. you to write your novel. Yeah, I could write a novel for my thesis, and I also because I'm now in that program. I could get a grant from again this big research council to write a novel, as opposed to doing other things. So I'm like. Uh, and so academically, in terms, if I was like pursuing an academic career, it's not the, I mean, there's certain like issues around that, but I was very much, you know, again, trying to do things my way. Now, I happened to enter the program when they were re-engineering the whole program. Uh, and there was a point in the program where there was n all these new forms because of the new structure of the exams and everything. And I had to get, and the thing I learned reading all the rules is that all other things being equal, uh, the university had to give a scholarship, if it was available, to the person who's furthest along in the program, unless there's some other, if, if everything else is equal, if they all have the same grade, if you all have the same whatever, um, then you have, the, the person who's, the tiebreaker is who's furthest along in the program. So what I made sure I did is I always submitted my forms before anyone else. And I, and I did all my coursework before my, nobody did, does their coursework in the PhD in the first eight months, which right. is what you would think they would do. You can do it in eight months, but nobody does it. But I did my coursework in the first eight months. I was the only person in the, my whole cohort that did that. And automatically, because of that, I'm technically further along the program, even though we're all like in second year or whatever. Um, so then I get all the money. All the money that is like, because I've also got A pluses. Everyone's got an A plus. It's, you know, a PhD, right? Right, because if you're in your PhD, you're there to work yeah. hard. Yeah. So mm -hmm. I'm getting like all this money that like other people aren't getting. 
So what you're telling simply me is because you I, weren't really deserving of it. it. Oh, compared to like them, no. Like I wasn't smarter <laughs> than them. No, I just I just had to like figure out the rules. And then, but then these, here's the other, so there's, there's like, that's the working within the system, figuring out the rules. But then right. here's the other thing. So at, at a certain point, you got to get out of their system because their system is designed to break you. Um, so the, 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 so at one point I'm like trying to find this, f I'm reading the process. I'm like, okay, what's the next step? The next step is you get this form and you have your people sign it and you submit it. And I'm trying to find the form and I can't find the form because I want to submit all these forms early. And what I figure out eventually is there is no form. They haven't made the form yet. Like it doesn't exist. So I, I typed up a form <laughs> with all the information I assumed would have been on it. I got everyone to sign it and I submitted it. So a couple weeks later, the department secretary comes into my office and is like, John, where did you get this form? <laughs> I'm like, and I just flat out said, I, I made it up. And she's like, what? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, well, there's an, there, I figured out there was no form yet, but I wanted to send the form, so I just you know, created the form and I had everyone sign it. She's like, well, you can't do that. I go, nevertheless, I did it. <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, uh, I'm I would like, have liked to see the like, look well, on that person's you know, face. You got to wait for the form. I go, look, I, got, I, I had everyone sign the form. I go, they all signed off on it. And it's not like a legal they document. All signed it's off. It's it is just, a legal document. Okay. A certain, well, okay, kind of. It, because they signed off on it, it became it, binding. It kind of becomes, and it submits into their bureaucracy. So she's like, uh, I'm like, let me get back to you. Because this is university. It's a, it's a Kafka-esque bureaucratic nightmare. It's like the government, but worse. In but they Kafka, have this that, process. You wake up one day as a cockroach, or it slowly turns you into one? Well, I can talk to I'll talk about Kafka forever. But yeah. like, so, but they've got the form. Like, this is the point, is they have the form. It's in their process system. Yeah. They have to do something with it. Um, and I'm not taking the form back. So eventually, like, they come back to me. And they can't throw it out because everyone signed it. It's right. Everyone signed okay. it. So eventually they come back to me, and they, the long story short is they, they get the file from me that I created. They adapted it, and they, and they adopted the form. <laughs> so you more, made more the or form less, they adopted the form. Uh, okay, so then what I'm sensing from you here is that um, the labyrinthine bureaucracy of the university. It's got its opportunities and its challenges. But right. Like, the, the trick of it is, can you do the thing you want to do inside that system? And it will enable you to do what you want. Science! When you first got into university, how old were you? Oh, I was like young. I was like 18. Okay, yeah. did 18-year-old, you know, no, I was a regular John? I got like 1.6 is my GPA my okay. first year. Okay, so then... But I was having like personal crises. So how did you take that person? So this is, this is better because that's where most people start. Yeah. If we hear the end of your story where you're making up your own forms and you're winning yeah, the grants, you know, that's something. But how does a person with, uh, you know, you said it yourself, you know, a person in the middle, yeah. midst of a personal crisis, not give up, figure out what that bureaucracy is actually trying to do, and then realize, actually, you know what? I can thrive here anyway. You know, at a certain point, I, I just always had the idea that I wanted to, I, di I just wanted to keep doing things. <laughs> Does that make sense? Like, I, I just had the belief that if I just keep doing things, um, then it'll be fine. Like, it'll work out in the end if I just keep moving forward and doing things. So is, is that yeah. what happened to you, Justin, when you were in graphic design and you are like, uh, because they encouraged you away from illustration? Uh, yeah, illustration wasn't really a factor. It wasn't so did you much, just keep doing things? Yeah, I think that, like, overall, that's kind of, like, even now, I'm doing a lot of things that I don't necessarily know where they're going. Mm -hmm. But if I keep working at them, something's going to happen. 
they'll become something. Yeah, like uh, for for example, um, with a lot of illustrators, there's some kind of illustration series that is kind of their claim to fame online, right? Like you look at um, who's a big one right now, like Sakimi Chan is this anime artist who does these dynamic poses of really pretty. Uh, like usually male characters like redesigned very pretty and in dynamic poses her Patreon is like the third highest yeah. Patreon Males presented in a voluptuous fashion which yeah. is okay. not yeah. a done thing That's online makes like she sense, has right? kind of she's found some like a niche and she's known for it and she's like she's viral for yeah. it right um, for me that was one day for no particular reason um, I decided to redesign Batman characters as robots and so I did a robotic Batman and then robotic Bane and Catwoman. And, you know, like 80 hours of work later, I had a lineup of all these Batman characters for... Just for fun. Just for fun. Yeah. And now, like, the world over, I'm recognized for it. Like, yeah. at conven- well, in conventions and stuff like that. And it's, right. post- it's still, like, recycled and posted online, like, Yeah, dear listeners, like, it went viral. It went, hmm. like, every place where they make lists of cool superhero redesigns, you can find... Chasing Artworks redesigned the Gotham Gears series, and it's there. And if you Google it right now, you'll find not only that, but so many iterations of people trying to do versions of it. And just as an example, but like, you know, we know a lot of artists like that. We know a lot of writers like that, that their kind of their big breakout claim to fame or or their big success story was, I don't know. I just thought it was cool. So I kept going. Yeah. Like something came out You don't get to choose. You You don't get to choose what people are going to connect with. But you know what you can choose? Like uh, you I love that what you say that you said that to my classmate visit the other day. Someone's like, well, what if you know, how do you know if we're, we're stuff's any good? Or, and you, and I love that response. You don't get to choose if it's any good. Like you don't know. You'll never know. Yeah. You know. Uh, but but you know what? The thing I always hung on to when I was you know down and out and like was having all these problems, whatever. Is like nobody can stop me from writing. Like I don't need a million dollars to write, as opposed to making a film where maybe you need a million dollars. I don't need a special computer. I don't need a you know any of this stuff. Like I just need like. Nobody can stop me from doing it, and so uh, even if everything else is going badly, I can at least do that. And if everything is going well, even, but it's now I'm busy or whatever, well, I can still have to like now. I the, the, the challenge eventually becomes you got to you got to stop stopping yourself from doing it. Yeah, wow. <laughs> you know, well and said. you can't use other things as the excuse. Like you can't use that I'm too busy at school as the excuse. Like when I got too busy at school to do writing, I just started submitting I would go to my teachers and say can I just hand in a short story instead of an essay (laughs) and I'll just do just all the themes I'll have the character talk about you know uh, these ideas like people will talk about the text in the thing or whatever more than once I handed in a Socratic dialogue instead of an essay so that I could practice writing dialogue instead of writing an essay because I wasn't going to be an essayist I wanted to be a writer (laughs) Like I didn't do that stuff a whole lot, but like when when I was really having a hard time, I would find find a way to like how can I make two things work? Because the thing I realized at a certain point, because uh, I was just thinking beyond, I was thinking like, well, what am I going to do when I'm done university? Like, how's this going to work? And what I realized at a certain point is like, everybody else, say you're done your BA or whatever. Well, everyone else has the same degree, yeah. And so it doesn't matter. The degree doesn't matter. Like, and everyone else has good grades. Like, you, the, the degrees don't matter. You have to get them but they don't matter past that point. What matters is all the other stuff you did as well. So when you're out of the degree program, like like if you're, who who is like, and you say you're sitting like to be at a job interview or whatever, and there's, it's down to you and two other people, there's two people they're trying to choose between. 
both of them have the same degree. Both of them got A's. You know, well, what's the tiebreaker? The tiebreaker is, well, this person, you know, wrote fantasy novels and is an interesting person mm-hmm. or has this additional thing. Like, so my thing always was I've got to, like, keep doing things. Uh, now my, pro- my, my issue is, like, I'm trying to be more directed, like, a- as my time kind of narrows and narrows. Right. And I think at a certain point you have to kind of be more directed. Like, like you were talking about, um, you figure out, well, what are people responding to it maybe or what can i like do better than other people yeah maybe is there I start a venn like diagram between a what people are responding to and what i like yeah. to do and in that sweet spot in the middle can you do more of that let me okay let's talk about niche, some things you need you've to done. do a bunch of stuff like because because you don't know what you can do yet when you're young so i'm gonna i'm gonna circle back so i don't know if you don't know this about this justin about right. john but uh in his misspent youth when he was also <laughs> saying like i don't need anyone's permission to write he also didn't need anyone's permission to be a filmmaker like we when i oh, met yeah. him he had just finished producing for like i don't know a few hundred dollars, a short film that ended yeah, up on Comedy Network. Oh, nice. I sold it for, yeah, I made it for like $300 as an experiment to learn how to hand process film at a workshop. Hmm. And then uh, I sold it to the Comedy Network for like $7,000. Although technically <laughs> the film group sold it for me. I didn't right. even know what was happening. But yeah, <laughs> it was just like a weird test. That was like, uh, you know, it's, 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 it I was, was very What was it called? That. Tell us the Spoonie time. Spoonie B. It was called Spoonie B in How Spoonie B Got His Whole Back. And it's a silent Chapman-esque comedy about a 70s pimp. That's awesome. Who also, there's a, a cameo from like a, the King of Venus. That guy did a whole, um, yeah, there's like a, a Prince Neptune. Prince from of Zord, Neptune. Prince of right. Neptune. Yeah, yeah. That, the guy who played Spoonie B is a good friend of mine, Alex Zizowski, and he, um, he's a he's an interesting guy you kids should meet. Um, but he, um, but when people, he loved playing that role so much. He wrote a whole album, uh, like a Spoonie B and Ugly D. Him and his buddy like wrote a whole album of rap. But songs. hold on, let's scroll back. <laughs> let's scroll back. I want to learn how to hand process film, Justin. What should I do to learn how to hand process film in chemicals? I would probably head to YouTube first, yeah, and then try it out myself. Right. You know, like you would can I, read, you can read about it all you want, but until you're physically doing it, you don't know I anything. Write, produce, and film a movie. <laughs> And then when I have that film, figure out whether or not I can, pr- like, develop the film. That's basically the steps. Well, what if they did gone yeah, wrong and everything had been ruined? Well, I took a well. I was I was what I was doing was I was taking a workshop. So I was like, there's a workshop at the film group. I started taking a bunch of workshops at the film group as well as doing my classes because I did a weird thing in my master's program. So uh, th- in my master's program, more than making tip, up if the you form. were to do it like if you did a master's program like normally. You would do it in two years. You'd spend one year in coursework, you'd spend your second year in your thesis. So I took three years because I wasn't sure if I wanted to do a PhD. So I went to my advisor at near the end of the first year, and I said, you know, uh, George Tolls, who is a screenwriter for Guy Madden, was my advisor. Um, and so I went to George, and I said, um, George, I'm not going to – here's the deal. I'm not going to – I'm going to take three years instead of two years. In the second year, I'm not going to do any work at all for you. I'm just going to stay in school and not pay my student loans back. And do other things. Yeah. Uh, and like, I'll just do other things for a year. I'll take like a year off, basically, in the middle of my degree. So your degree became parenthetical to some other stuff yeah. you wanted to Yeah, and then I go, and then the third year I'll do all my stuff. But like, I want to like figure out if I want. I want to think more about whether to do the PhD, and also I want to just do a bunch of stuff so that when I come out of this MA, I've got, I've had, I've done stuff, and I'm in a better position to get into PhD programs because I've done all this stuff. So, so I start this taking you, these I'll have to group. interrupt. Because I know you'll run yeah. on, but I, you're skipping over some good parts. Is this you again, figuring out that all things being equal? 
if you have that middle year yeah. of other stuff when Let's, it's all said and done. What I really like kind about of, yeah. this and what I think about from time to time is I always, I like that we're visual artists because at the end of the day, it's our portfolio that matters. doesn't matter your yeah. high school grades, does not matter your degrees. What's in your portfolio? The last thing you made is how you get your next Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, we know people from like Van Art, Sheridan, Full Sail University in the States, which is like 70K a year art yeah. school. But at the end of the day, if your portfolio is dry and, and boring, nobody cares. Whereas a 14-year-old kid who like works all day and yeah. has yeah. a robust portfolio, like they're going to... Yeah. So the school's going to enable that. Like if school's going to enable you to build that portfolio mm-hmm. and to try different things, then it's going to help you... Um, you know, you can learn, of course. <laughs> like, yeah. if, if it helps you learn <laughs> things, you can move faster. You can fast track. You could like I, I learned an incredible amount being in my PhD program because uh, I'm like, you know, ha- meeting all these great, you know, creative p- new people. You've got this whole cohort of people you're hanging out with and networking with, and your your professors are often very, you know, fascinating. Like Christian Book, who's uh, um, you know this famous kind of poet who's now like do genetically engineering an organism to put a poem inside of it. Yeah, uh, like that. he's um, he was one of my advisors on the my PhD uh, thesis and so on. Uh, although not my main advisor. So what you're suggesting is that the learning was the ancillary portion? Well, you have to like be receptive to learning, but like the structure of classroom learning is the ancillary portion. Like that's what you're there to do ostensibly. But to me, that was the least important thing because everybody else is doing that. Like that's the thing way I always looked at it. What is all the people that I'm with here are doing the same thing that I'm doing. So I have to do that, but then I need to do all these additional things on top of it because I need to set myself apart or even just like capitalize on the fact that I've got, you know, these, this time to do these things. Um, so to go back to like the hand processing, like I just was like, I'm going to take a workshop at the film group in my second year. And then it's like, well, if I'm hand processing film, if I, you you buy this workshop and you get all this film as part of your fee, well, then I've got to pay for these chemicals. I got to do this things. I might as well shoot a film. Like I'm already, in for like processing and chemicals right. i'll shoot a little thing like i'll come up with a short script and whatever um it, it'll probably turn out badly but at least you'll have something but I'll you also learn included my a vfx shot in there like you had that train well, that's shot a, that's a really complex vxf but that wasn't me that was my editor who also was the character but yeah we got we got this brilliant shot in that film where um, like a real train that, film like on, that film's on youtube over. i believe yeah. uh, right now uh if you google spoonie b um or how spoonie b got his hole back you can see on youtube or funny or die or something i forget where i put it um but there's this great shot where he's like standing on his train tracks and he steps off and then this train comes by this old-timey train and it's it's a brilliant you know it it looks very simple but that's a uh, like think, try to think, of how, figure out how I did that shot. Yeah. Go, go watch that film. Well, see what I do how did I do that, that shot with whatever you did? You broke the rules that we think there were. <laughs> That's what I know for sure. Super pope. You have two lives. You live two lives unapologetically. I think <laughs> you are um, uh, a pillar of the literary community here in Winnipeg. You're a poet. You're a filmmaker. You're a novelist. You work on horror stuff. You work on genre fiction. But then on the other side of it, you are Dr. Jonathan Ball, professor at the university. How do you? Well, I'm a contract. So yeah. I mean, to me, it's like, to me, I'm just a writer. Like, if you ask me, like, what I do, uh, or at the border, when they ask me, I, I, I say, like, <laughs> I'm a writer, which is a bad answer, by the way. At the border, at the border is a dangerous answer. Yes, my wife gets mad at me, but um. Uh, I see myself as a writer, and then I, I like when I do the teaching, 
Um, I mean, I would love to, you know, get a more real <laughs> university professor job than because I'm just on contracts right now. But um, I just like see it as like an extension of my of being a writer. So like I teach creative writing classes and I teach um, sometimes I teach literary study or film study classes. But when I do that, like I, I kind of try to do it from a writer's perspective or point of view, and I, um, I, I really like try to break down like how does this stuff work, um, and how has it been constructed, and really just think through. Like I just kind of take like I'm very analytical as a, you know, because I've been trained to be, but also like as a writer, I'm a very I have a very analytical process. We you and I have talked about this before. Like we don't see ourselves as people who with necessarily a lot of talent. Yeah, right. Uh, we just grind. We're like, yeah. yeah, we work hard and we try things and we're very analytical, I think. Maybe me more than you, but like... Talent will get in your way, I think. It can be... A, a lot. It can kill you because yeah. uh, what happens a lot with your know, savants, like people who are you know brilliant geniuses at something is they give, they quit doing it because it's easy and they don't enjoy it anymore. Yeah. Like a lot of child prodigies don't continue doing the thing they were a prodigy in. Uh, it just, doesn't have a... Does it, it, because one, it bores them. But two, um, once they hit a real challenge, like and they actually hit that wall of now I can't do a thing, they don't bother to break through through it because they've they've never learned to overcome the challenges necessarily. Yeah. Whereas I think that I think of my own practice as more like just chipping through that wall constantly. Yeah, I always say to my daughter, my daughter is uh, reluctant to call herself a writer, but she, you know she's she has an incredible amount of talent as a writer, and I always say to her like you know you, you how she has much more talent than I do, but I'm still a better writer than her <laughs> because <laughs> I had to work at it. You know, so so if she works at it also, she could be better than me. How do you introduce yourself at the border, Justin? I usually say graphic designer still because that's. Better than illustrator. I okay, guess. now we both better we, than we made a joke about being in about being a writer at the border and being a illustrator at the border. Why? What's going on here? Well, I just I had a friend who got in trouble because basically he said like I don't have a job. I'm a freelance illustrator. They're like, well, then you're coming to the states to get a job. Yeah. You can't come. Right. Like if you don't seem like you have uh, a firm uh, position, like a firm job in in Canada. That's yeah. one of their fears is you're jumping over for a job. Right. So freelance illustrator with no, like, that I just work for myself is like, hmm. So as long as I bring my mortgage papers with me to show them that I have, like, you know, a stake in the Canadian economy, I could probably tell them that a I'm a writer and a an illustrator. A friend of mine was actually turned away at the border. He was going to get on a plane, so they turned him away at the airport. They wouldn't let him get on the plane because he didn't have, he was going to the States, he didn't have uh, any cash in his wallet. And they're like, well, you have no cash. And he's like, well, but I've got my credit cards. But nevertheless, uh, you're, you, how do we know where you're, you're going to ever come back? He's like, well, I don't understand that question. He's like, yeah. why would I come back to Canada? I'm just going to the States for like a trip. But he didn't have a return ticket yet because... Didn't have a return ticket. Didn't yeah. have any money. He wasn't yeah. sure when he was going to yeah. come back. Oh, he was no. visiting, you know... Yeah, that's so trouble. So... Did you make a form for him that he could just fill out and get signed? I have my form right here, (laughs) sir. Everyone signed it. When I learned doing sales, when I did like a sales, I was doing like door to door, um, not sales exactly, but it was like surveys and like free promotions. When was this? Hold on. When was it? It was like when I was 19, 18, 19. What I learned then is like they they taught me these sales techniques, which I can't remember anymore now. But one I did learn is people want to say yes to you, but also like naturally they want to say yes to you. And so. Yes. Rather than no, people don't like to no. say no. But 
of course they're not going to just say yes to anything you ask but if you can like escalate them upwards so if you ask them like a small thing first like you know oh you know it's nice day today oh yeah 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 in psychology and that's you, called you, the foot in the door phenomenon you foot in the door right. and you just yeah. keep escalating the things you get i mean i used to do this like uh i did this once at a tim horton or, or sorry a robin's yeah tim horton's and i went from the getting the girl to give me a free donut all the way up to I'm running the kitchen at Tim Hortons all night and she's going to quit her job in the morning and we're giving free coffee and donuts away to everybody. I think that's an entire podcast for later or possibly your next short film. <laughs> um, I want to segue out of something that will go on record as possibly being a felony for you and <laughs> back into something else. Uh, you started a website called Right the Wrong Way. Writing the wrong way. Well, it's just, it just, my, my website is, I've got a bunch of different websites, but my main website is jonathanball.com or writingtherongway.com. And so this is you combining sort of the foibles of being a writer, the foibles of being a teacher, and the fact that before anyone else I knew, you owned websites. I was really into websites. I, I, did, I really resisted email for a long time, but I was big into websites. <laughs> I always had a website, and I, I just, I don't know, I, don't, I didn't really, unfortunately, like capitalize on being ahead of this curve but right. uh, I always had a website and so like by this point what I do with the website now it, I was really casting around for what it was going to be now I'm starting I'm kind of reworking it a bit more but it's kind of a place where there's interviews with writers like I just did an interview with you not too long ago I've got interviews with writers and artists and a lot of like I've got some creative work of my own but it's really very focused around like again that very kind of structured analytical approach to process and the reason I called it writing the wrong way is because a, a lot of the sort of advice I have or is like contrarian advice. Like I, I have this post as a little controversial called don't write, don't attribute dialogue. Because when you write fiction, you know, I, I don't believe you should, I don't believe you should ever attribute dialogue. So write, he, he said. said, or he said, you know, whatever. Quizzically. Well, so there's a reason you wouldn't write he said quizzically, right? And we I can just all go to through throw you this. off with an adverb there. We, but we can also go through this. You, everyone knows the standard reasons you don't use adverbs in dialogue. No, tell us, dear listeners. Jonathan Ball, doctor. Jonathan well, Ball will tell you, you now. You don't say he said quizzically, and you don't say, you know, he quizzed her. Or, you know, people always say, well, you just you said because it's simpler, it's elegant, you don't notice it, and it doesn't, you know, um, it doesn't become awkward. There's all these like reasons you wouldn't use an adverb, supposedly. Right. Uh, right. And the standard, what it, what, are, what the reasons eventually boil down to, like I talk about this in depth on like a different post on that website called um, Four Editing Tricks that are all same chick or something. But um, the reasons all boil down effectively to uh, either you're redundant or you're putting all the, the important information in the adverb instead of in the dialogue itself. Right. Um, and I kind of extend the logic of that to why you should never attribute dialogue, in my belief. I mean, it's not a rule. Uh, but if you don't ever attribute the dialogue to anyone, so it never says like Bob said or whatever, um, then you have to write dialogue that only Bob could say. If that makes sense. Yeah, like no That's what does, yeah. the advice boils down to yeah. eventually. So I kind of like walked like the kind of process of like that sort of a thing. Like I'll start often with that kind of like, here's a thing you typically 
wouldn't it be told to do? And like, well, let's break down, you know, how you could do it. Or There's an online whatever. game that has lines of dialogue from Star Trek The Next Generation. And you have to attribute who said it based only on the dialogue. Oh, Same great. kind of thing. And it's like that because the writer's there. You know, there are things only Worf says and there are things only Picard says and yeah. things only Riker says as he sweeps his leg over the chair. But I, I try to like just really talk about, you know, how, how to do writing on a really technical, analytic level. Even just talk about work processes because a lot of times I... Like I like if you, like I've got that, like that newsletter um, I, where you can sign up my newsletter and get like a free little ebook and the ebook is it's like kind of like a pamphlet but like what it is is um, uh, how to create it's like f- five steps to create and maintain a writing schedule because to me like the most uh, the, I always ask the question of any writer every time I have a writing class I ask the same question every time I meet a new writer I a younger writer I say what's the hardest thing about being a writer. And the, the, by far, the answer is time, finding time to write, which, of course, is impossible because you can't find time to do anything. You have to make time to do things. Yeah. And so like, it's like a fundamental problem that writers have, but it's, but it's like a mindset problem, one. But it's also like a work processes it's problem. Same for illustrators, It's though, not right? that they don't have the will to do writing. Or to, it's just that they don't, or even like that they're being lazy. It's that they just don't functionally understand, like, what's a, what's a, like, a process that yeah. you can follow. And I, I dare say in that process conversation, you can chime in on this, Justin. Um, it takes longer to illustrate than it does to write. Oh it's God. easier to find time Oil to fit writing into so your hard. regular day around, like squeezing it into places than it is to squeeze a proper professional level of illustration in around. Which is why it's so irritating that writers go first in graphic novels still. Oh yeah, it's totally, <laughs> it's totally wrong. It's totally wrong. We didn't do that in ours though. Nope. Right? No. Um, but yeah, well, the book right? do. if you're going to do writing as a side hustle, right, you can do it whenever you want, wherever you want, however you want. If you're going to do illustration as a side hustle, down. it'll take you a lot longer to get a proper portfolio together. Sure. Yeah. Well, and filmmaking, exactly. Like, yeah. I, I mean, I've kind of got out of filming here for a while. I'm sort of going to be moving back into it. Although most, more as a writer than, other, than, than, uh, in terms of directing, I don't, I think like I just wrote a script script uh, recently um for another director uh, so i'm trying to do more um film work as a writer than i used to but <coughs> sorry um the, the thing that i uh always say about film like versus writing is like you don't need a million dollars to write something like you you do kind of need a million dollars like to make uh, like like a good feature length film e- even in the day and age of digital film you got to pay people to be there you know uh, you know, it's still like if you're, it's swall. The money gets swallowed. You got to market the film. Like even if you spend five thousand dollars on the film, you need like a million dollars to market that film. Yeah, right. Like you know, and those numbers aren't exact, but you know, like the principle is there. You you can't just sit down and do it for fifteen minutes. But you can do that with writing. But you can do the writing, which like, is the most. And maybe you, awesome people say, well, maybe you can't get a lot done. Well, so what? <laughs> yeah. You can get a lot done over time. Attention, citizens. Okay, I'm gonna. Com- I want to do some compare contrasts because I'm sitting with two gentlemen right now who stick to pretty rigid schedules, even though they seem footloose and fancy-free, dear readers. Um, both of these gentlemen have a strict creative schedule on days when they are working. So I'm going to do some compare contrast. Well, when did you start doing your schedule? When did you start seriously believing in the power of the schedule? Um, I'm not sure. Like, Do you mean, like I've always been... I think drawing like 12 hours a day is something that's been going on like since I was quite young. Um, seeing results from that 
was probably around 2007. Um, I had graduated from graphic design. I was working in a design firm. And so I had kind of my, my skill set and a style developing. I kind of had found my voice. And then I'd found a outlet for it. I'd found Comic-Cons. So now I had a, um, it was like all this work I was putting into my portfolio, I knew where it was going now. You've you talked about like finding that direction, finding your, the purpose of like what you're working towards. I didn't have that until after I graduated from, from college. And I wanted to do illustration, but I didn't exactly know how to get into so it. So why didn't you stop? But you still kept doing it. Yeah, yeah why was, didn't you stop? I re- you were a failure up until then, Justin. Yeah. <laughs> Why didn't you but stop? that's the thing. Yeah. It, you got to get comfortable with being a failure. Like, yeah. I really think like one of the reasons you need the schedule, like you need to just keep doing things in a structured way is you need to, people have so much anxiety about their work. Like, is it any good? You know, am I ever going to make it and all this stuff? Mm-hmm. That's fine. And I understand like why people have anxiety. Like I have a lot of anxiety about a lot of different things. But the thing I always like try to encourage people is like, save that anxiety for when you're not working. Like you work from four to eight or whatever, yeah. and you can be anxious outside of that time. Like those are the that's the time when you're working. Schedule your anxious time like you schedule your working time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you go to a psychologist because your anxiety is out of control, they'll tell you, you know, they'll go to cognitive behavioral therapy methods, which is you create a, a worry schedule. Like it, this is it's so not a joke. So you don't have to joke. feel guilty like, for the way that you're feeling. Right? No, you just say, I, I made time for this, and I felt it, and now I move on. Yeah, and I even, like, you. well, when you were visiting my class, I was showing you this. I have this little form I make, you know. It's, where, like, it's wonderful, yeah. You draw a cross on the page. On the top left, you write what you're doing. On the top uh, right, you write all the um, distractions, like all the things that you notice are distracting you. And st- when you're checking Facebook instead of illustrating or writing. The t- bottom... Uh, Right, you put down all the ideas, all the great ideas of things you could be doing that you're not doing right now, so you don't get distracted by them. That list stays the short left. until you're supposed to be working on yeah, something exactly. else. Yeah, exactly. And then the bottom <laughs> left, you write all your anxieties, like the things you're worrying about. Like, oh, you know, I'm stressed about money. Well, you can write that down and worry about it later. Like, uh, the whole point of like that kind of form is like you need to just focus. You need to try to focus on the thing you're doing. And all that stuff is like happening other times in your life. And for clarity, dear listeners, what he's talking about is literally a physical piece of paper that has these four quadrants on it. And when you sit down to write, to work at your schedule, you keep track of those four yeah. things. I just call it the focus form. I've got, it's on, that's another thing on my website. All the stuff like that on my website. Like, because Why I do just you share found, good ideas with people? Keep them for <laughs> yourself. Well, I, I just, I, I, what, you know what? I was doing, I'm doing these contracts as a teacher and I, I, because I'm on contract, I'm only teaching like first and second year students, but a lot of this, so I wanted like a way to basically like be mentoring or teaching or like, you know, offering things to like my students that had already done courses with me. Right. Um, because they can't take another course with me basically at a certain point. What is your writing schedule? I mean, it changes depending on what's going on. So right now, because I'm I'm home all day with the kids right now. My I have two young, I have three kids, but two of them are very young, under the age of three. And so, right now, like my schedule is, um, I write basically in the afternoon while they're napping, and then uh, like for sure that's my writing sacrosanct time. And then either in the morning or in the evening. Um, I do some additional work if I, whatever it is, like whether it's writing work or other work. Um, but I, but I, by the schedule, so the how many hours a day is that? it, it, so it depends on how much, 
I divide other work and writing work. Yeah. It, it could be as little as like three hours a day, two to three hours at least. Right. Uh, and then, um, you know, sometimes more, sometimes less, depends what's going on that day. Now, you also work as a professor. So this is... Yeah, so I only teach night classes right now, though. Right. You're teaching yeah. night classes, but you also have another job. You're full-time caring for your children. Yeah. Which is not to be taken lightly or to be discounted as something that well, but, <laughs> will eat every minute. But let's just go back can. to the job thing. I, like the thing I've always, since I was young, before I, I think it sounds like you had a similar sort of attitude. Like I always thought this is my job. Like I'm a writer. It's my job. I didn't want to see myself as a writer as like, oh, I'm this great artist, you know, and it's my attitude of like. I mean, I've had like moments. I'm sure when I felt like that, but. My, my thing is I want to just approach it like it's my job and I did work at it like it's my job even if I'm not making any money. Right. It's my job. And so if someone asked me what I do, well, I'm a writer. Even if I'm making zero money from that and I'm working at Ramos Donuts, I'm a writer and it's not, but, and I'm actually writing. <laughs> so I get to call myself a writer. Right. Otherwise, I don't get to call myself a writer and it's not my job. So I have to take it seriously. And like, to me, like that attitude has saved me in the midst of other th- problems because you know, nobody can fire me from being a writer. Right. Okay. So it's the first two minutes of your, th- you know, like two or three hours that you say were sacrosanct in your yeah. writing. You sit down. Where are you? How do you get focused? How do you get centered? Like, you know, and yeah. if you're raising kids at the same time, which means <laughs> nap time has come out of the whirlwind of how old are your two kids? One's one and one's just about to turn three. So a one-year-old and the a three-year-old. Ones, yeah. That's like... My it's older a hurricane one's like almost nightmare 18. of poop and food and laundry. And now it's time to write. How do you get focused? How do you get centered? Well, the first thing I do is I write on my little focus form what I'm doing in the session. Because say I've got like only two hours or two, three hours, whatever. Well, you can't write a book in two, three hours. You, right. c- you only do one smaller thing. So like, I figure out what's my task today. So like, my task later today, what I'm going to do is write uh, poetry reviews. Because uh, I would do a poetry review column, and then I'm also when I'm done the poetry reviews, I'm going to work on a poem. I'm going to draft uh, like a bad lousy draft of a poem called the iPhone Elegy, um, which is kind so of a take on the Rilke's Duino elegies, but uh, centered around my iPhone. But see, I love this because you set down, you'll set the task for yourself. Yeah, I'm going to write a lousy draft. It's a l- uh, yeah, mm-hmm. I can't. I'm not going to write the poem. Like get, I only have time to write a lousy draft or a half draft maybe it's a thumbnail or rough yeah that's yeah, what you do you, you draw a lousy picture first yeah well okay we'll talk yeah i like this this process yeah, well, thing we'll talk about um like for me i call it the forge i'm right. starting off uh i'm gonna do a piece uh let's say it's a girl on a telephone wire with a bunch of, of wires kind of thing like that's right something like that so i will do what i call um i will get the forge together which is Reference for color schemes I like, reference for telephone poles, reference for, for like whimsical looking girls, and I'll get that all kind of together. And now that the forge is there, then I can kind of get into the painting. And some days I don't get to the painting part, I just work on the forge for different pieces. Right. Yeah. And so for me, like, uh, it's that same sort of concept where I'm, I want to break down what's the task I'm going to do in this session because. Like this, this whole iPhone poem, for example, is part of a long book project. Uh, but you can't, if you think about the book, you'll never do anything. You'll procrastinate. It's too big a project. You can't do it. It's too hard. It's too much work. Um, I always say, like, you can't write a book. It's, impo- it's impossible to write a book. But what you can do is, like, do a, ti- a bunch of little things that add up to a book. Right. Uh, 
because unless you're like I know a, like one guy who sits down and writes like a whole book he likes stay up for a week. well we had uh, Claire he's, Marshall he's, on here she does the three day novel challenge and writes a good novel in three like yeah I mean some sort of cheating I, I can't do that <laughs> but like uh, but you know you break it down and then you have to be willing to fail like I was saying like you have to be willing to, so like I'm gonna do a bad lousy horrible draft of this thing and then I'll have something I can edit it takes the pressure off too you don't have mm-hmm. to do it perfect the first time you're just you're Doing the first pass and see where that goes. Yeah, maybe you won't even finish it. Maybe you'll yeah. just realize, oh, this is garbage. I'll throw it away. Like part of my editing, the but first thing I ask in editing, kind of like a lousy draft, then you feel confident yeah. that you finished one at least. And like with this iPhone elegy, again, I'm basing the sort of idea of it kind of on this Duino elegy. This is a very famous poem by Rilke, or a series of poems by Rainer Murray Rilke. And so the first thing I'm going to do, uh, uh, what I've been doing is I've been reading through this poem and just pulling out lines I like. So the first thing I'm going to do is assemble all the lines I like from his poem and then think, okay, maybe I'll just start with just rewriting these lines. Um, <laughs> and so at least, so I've got like just a like skeleton or a structure. Yeah. Just, yeah. yeah. It, it's, it's nice to have like a thing to go off of that kind of, if you're really like, I've been, lately I've been so exhausted, I haven't been super like, uh, creative, but I still need to sit down and do the, the work because, uh, and I haven't had like, I haven't been inspired to have good ideas or any of that stuff lately. Um, I, I get but frustrated. You still got to do things. You got to keep the knives sharp. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's, well, that's what I was going to say. I get frustrated by people who say, no, I have, like, I'll say, you know, how's the new book going or how's the new graphic novel going or whatever. And they say, oh, well, I've been too tired lately to do it. Uh, if they worked at a school, it's not like they could take those days off. Yeah, like you right. worked at a school. That's yeah. what I'm saying, right? When you're too tired to do it, your regular job, you still show up and do your regular job. You just do a bad job. So if you identify, right, that I'm too tired, but I'm still showing up to work, and you, you square the circle that I am going to do a lousy draft because I'm too tired, at least you have shown up to work that day. Science! I always say, like, writers, uh, artists too, I guess, but writers are like one of the only uh, group of people who take concrete evidence of their own success for example rejection which only writers get rejections <laughs> that's what like whenever whenever students are like well you know i get I got this rejection i'm not a real writer i'm like no only real writers get rejections yeah my daughter had a poem published in her little her school um like literary journal that she did and she was like telling me how she had this poem it's going to come out in this journal and she was you know she was kind of like downplaying it and i was like that's awesome <laughs> and she's like well you know they kind of publish everybody who submits i go you know who they don't publish who the people who don't have the guts to submit yeah I, so one they don't publish everyone that submits she's wrong with that but two like they don't publish people who don't have the guts to submit so you need to collect rejections mm-hmm. yeah i live yeah. by i live and die by that notion for sure so just uh kind of submissions and then that also our uh, our work process completing the circle so i'm i'm sitting here staring at uh Greg was invited to participate in the Thing art book. Oh yeah, right. This last summer, uh, oh, yeah, which I was a that. John Carpenter, uh, just like a an art book, just a love letter to the Thing, like a retrospective. Um, so, first of all, yeah, you um, initially, uh, I talked to the guy, I talked to somebody involved, and I was invited, but you reached out. Yeah. Just kind of on a whim. Yeah. And that, like, that's how you get in. You just have to, you have to submit. You have to. Yeah. Well, once I found out that they were reaching out to people, right? I said, like, I have work that fits. Like, and I you... know I do. Like, in my heart. And <laughs> this movie, you know, is a 
important compass point in my creative process. Even so, as I was working, I, I knew that this was a better project for you than for me. So I was, I was, yeah. Hoping. So then I found out how to get in touch. I reached out and I yeah. said those exact things, you know, it's like this movie is super important to me and here's a body of my work and you know, it's no skin off their nose to say no. Right. But they said yes instead. And then workflow wise for starting that project out. So you are, you know, a huge, huge fan of the franchise. How do you make a, a piece of artwork for it? How do you? I, I started, well, it's funny you say this. I started with 10 or 15 lousy versions. Yeah. But I set out to do that. I, I opened my sketchbook, right, to two blank pages. You didn't let the pressure get no, to you? No, I just to two blank pages. <laughs> well, yeah, the pressure was getting to me. So how I dealt with the pressure was I opened my sketchbook to two blank pages. I made a little grid work in there, so as many as I could fit. So it was about 12 on those pages that I could fit that were small enough that I could get enough detail in a lousy drawing to know at least what my composition would be. And I just kept doing it. And the first half a dozen were posters I realized I had seen before somewhere else. Like it was me, it was my subconscious processing all the imagery that already is present for this film, either other fan artists or other like Mondo prints or whatever. And once I kind of got that out of my system, then I started to reduce it to what I wanted in the composition. Cool. Which was based around the one thing that was absent in most people's, everyone had forgotten the original slug line of the movie, seemed absent in all of the posters and in all this, which is man is the warmest place to hide. And once I had that idea, then I knew where I was going. I've been writing a bunch of poems about the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and uh, it has a great, you know, tagline: um, "Who will survive, and what will be left of them?" What will be left <laughs> of them? Yeah, that's great. That movie, that original movie, still terrifies me. I don't like it's watching more, it. I watch it when I want to feel that feeling of oh no. We have been talking with Jonathan Ball, who is uh, encouraging you to uh, create your own forms, <laughs> yeah. twist academia to yeah. uh, your, to will. your will, uh, and all things being equal, make sure you're ahead. This has been Super Pulp Science, and we would like to encourage you, well, I would specifically like to encourage you to join the fight and make comics.